the manifold wisdom of God. One orange, many slices, the manifold wisdom. So in other words, even though you have one truth that you're looking at in the scriptures, many times there's different layers and levels to what's being revealed. And so when you're dealing with the beast that has seven heads and ten horns, I know one of the revelations that is that there's, a, there's going to be seven really powerful world ruling type of spirits that's going to be very strong in the last days. And there's going to be ten really powerful principalities. And I understand that. I also stand, understand that in the natural, you're going to see not only the seven world ruling um, spirits, but you're also going to see ten different geographic locations, ten different nations that somehow the Antichrist is going to rule over them. And those ten different sections of geography is going to make up the world system of that time. I understand that too. And I understand that behind those ten kingdoms, there's going to be a natural king or president, but behind them is going to be ten of Satan's most powerful principalities that's going to be very involved. I understand all of that. And I also understand that down through history, Israel has had seven main enemies. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then of course the last day, revived Roman Empire. Seven enemies that have faced Israel. And so I understand that there's some revelation in that too. So this is pretty deep, but what I'm going to do tonight is, I'm going to talk about seven enemies that Israel faced. Seven enemies, but in a symbolic sense, metaphorically, you can see how they're also attacking the church in a spiritual sense. I'm going to take this from a different perspective, okay? But to start this thing out, I'm going to give you a very brief synopsis of history. And I can't spend long on this because I want to get to where I'm going, but I want you to see something. When Satan attacks over and over in a certain area and it's not working, he's going to get ticked off and eventually he's going to try to change his tactics. Y'all are going to see this in the scriptures. So in church history, for the first couple hundred years, the church was quite strong, spiritually speaking. But Satan was trying to destroy the early church. There was an emperor toward the end of Paul's life named Nero that came to power. He was a lunatic. I can't get into that. But anyway, he began to try to kill every Christian he could. From Nero down to Diocletian, there were ten emperors that during their reign, they would take Christians and they would put them in coliseums so that lions could eat them in front of everybody. They had them dipped in oil and stuck up on a pole and lit on fire to light the streets. They violently persecuted Christians, much like what you're seeing with ISIS today. And so this was a violent persecution that was being dealt with. So Satan was trying to crush the Christian church over and over and over ten different times he used emperors trying to crush them but that tactic was not working as a matter of fact the church every time one person died it seemed like ten others sprang up and the church was staying strong and the church was still growing and the church was still evangelizing and Satan couldn't stop us over time after ten emperors the devil decided I'm going to try something different this isn't working Persecution has never destroyed Christianity. Persecution has just made it stronger. And so around 312 AD, there was a battle between Constantine and Maxentius. And Constantine, follow me for a few minutes, Constantine wanted this throne so bad. And he saw some kind of a vision in the sky of like a flaming cross. And he really believed that God spoke to him that you will conquer by this. And so he had all of his, his uh, army paint like crosses on their shield and they went into battle. And of course he ended up winning. But I want you to notice something here. Just because somebody has a vision or some kind of an experience, a supernatural or a paranormal experience does not mean it's from God. How many knows that Muhammad got some kind of a revelation from some kind of an angel of light when he got the, in this cave and he got this, the Quran and all of that. But how many of you guys know that there was nothing about God in that? Joseph Smith 
claimed to also have gotten some kind of vision where he got the Book of Mormon, but how many of you guys know that there's nothing of God in this, in the Mormonism? So just because somebody has some kind of an experience, you don't read where Constantine ever talked about realizing he was a sinner that needed a Savior. You never read about him talking about truly um, giving his life in that way to Jesus. And the reason why I'm sharing all this, as I have a point in this here in a moment, he just saw a vision. That's it. And then he continues on as he takes the throne as the emperor. He continues on to, you know, that title was um, Pontificus Maximus, something like that. But he was still going to the pagan temples and, and officiating the ceremonies of worshiping these pagan gods. But then also going back now to the Christian church and kind of self-declaring him as being like the leader of that church as well. Does anybody see what I'm saying? So there's no reason for me to believe, and I've studied this out, that he had any type of a real true experience with God. But rather, this was, and you'll see here in a moment, this was actually a strategy of the enemy. The enemy kept striking at the church, but he couldn't stop the church. And so now he figures, I've got to get inside and begin to try to infiltrate this thing somehow. Are y'all following me? There was a Spanish general that was, you know, he was trying to take a city. And another general comes up beside him on the horse. And he's asking him, how do you feel like you're going to take the city? He said, well, I have my four columns coming from the north, south, east, and west. But he said, I really feel like my fifth column will actually take the city. And the other general asked him, said, well, what's your fifth column? He said, my military that's inside the city. Those that have infiltrated before today. And so Satan realized, I've got to somehow infiltrate and try to pervert things. And you're going to see this all through scripture here in a moment. So Constantine becomes sympathetic toward Christianity and lifts the persecution that was against him. But while he's going and officiating at these pagan temples and coming back and now trying to be some kind of leader of the Christian community. Here, I'm going to read you some things and I need to get off this. But Constantine looked at this new religion and there were many things that perplexed him. The Christians seemed primitive. They seemed unsophisticated in many respects. They lacked the organizational skills of the Romans and they lacked the sophistication and education of the Greek-inspired culture. In particular, it bothered him that Christianity seemed to have a very strong Jewish element. So he began to make changes. And this led to the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. Now I want you to notice these changes real quick. I'm going to read over and move on. He asserts himself over Christianity and appoints his cronies to power. See, this was not something God did. God did not anoint this man. God did not make, call him to be an apostle like the Apostle Paul. This was not something God did. This was something man did. And you see down through the ages the Catholic Church doing this, but you also see unfortunately even in Christianity today where many times it's man that raises up man instead of God raising up a man. He basically became their first pope. He shut, Now listen, he shuts down the different house churches and the, the prayer and the worship that was going on in these homes. And he started to throw a lot of money at Christianity. And he began to build these cathedrals, these big temples for them to come to. And so what happened was, there had been so many years of persecution. So many Christians that were alive at this time that maybe had family members that were eaten by lions. Okay, that Roman soldiers came into their homes and slaughtered their families. And so now that Constantine comes in and says, we're lifting the ban, some of them were so relieved that they were just going along with these changes. But the true Christians of that time, y'all please hear me, the true Christians that knew the Lord and were really close to Him, knew, they pointed at this and said, this is worldly and this is pagan. He's worshiping these other gods and coming over here and trying to be a leader and pointing his cronies. This is not true Christianity. And there became this split where those that were going to follow Constantine and his cronies and it was going to be more of that Roman Catholic apart from the true Christians that were not going to go along with it. And as the Roman emperor grew in power because he had the money 
to do it. As the more powerful they became, the more they began to chase down and persecute the true Christians, burn them at the stake, put them in prison, and slaughter them. The Roman Catholicism has never been true Christianity. It goes back to Constantine. But look at the changes. They shut down prayer meetings. And they replaced it with organized gatherings. See, once there was this freedom for people to come in and they could worship and and they could sing and they could pray and they could get a word of knowledge and they could function in the gifts and there was a, a freedom in the praise and worship and prayer and intercession. That was now being done away with. Shut down the prayer meetings and replace it with real structured, organized meetings in these cathedrals. It went from being about being like a family to now being about a building, a cathedral. Now these appointed leaders were ruling over the people the same way that a Roman emperor would rule over the people. That's not the job of of Christian leaders to rule over like that. You know what I'm saying? But now they were oppressively ruling over the people. And then you see how gradually over time that tightened the noose, so to speak, where you can't read the Bible for yourself. You can't pray for yourself. You have to come to us so your sins can be forgiven. You can't have a personal relationship with God. Is We've got to say you're right with God. The longer things went, the more oppressive it got. Like I mentioned, that spontaneous worship was now replaced with ritualistic pagan-type worship, which was very reminiscent of the pagan rites and the pagan temples that um, Constantine was over. For example, like burning incense and other things like that. There was a narrator on a secular channel that just made this statement, just an offhand remark. He just stated this, like historically he studied this out. He said that he found it interesting that imperial Rome is probably best preserved in the church that it once persecuted. Think about that. Constantine firmly and decisively cut the church completely from its Hebrew roots. It was very deliberate. He replaced those roots with Greek Roman paganism. Later it became illegal in the Catholic Church to have anything to do with the Hebrew roots. And if someone did, they were considered anathema, which means cursed and cut off from the church, which they viewed as going to hell. One example of this was regarding Passover, because the early church had always kept things like the feast. But Constantine said, let us then have nothing in common with the Jew who is our adversary. See, Rome considered the Jews adversaries. The church never did. This irregular, irregularity observing Passover must be corrected in order that we may no more have anything in common with the um, parasites and murderers of our Lord. Passover was later changed to Easter and connected with the Greek Roman pagan god Ishtar. Alright, so my whole point in all of that is this. That Satan was striking at the church. He was viciously attacking it with those emperors. It never worked. The church kept getting stronger. And so he decided over time, I've got to change my strategy. I've got to figure out a way now to infiltrate the ranks and try to pervert things. Deceive people. Lead people astray. I can no longer just sit back and attack and try to crush them because it's not working. Is this making sense? So the tactic became more of infiltration. You're going to see here in a moment where down through the scriptures, Satan tried the same thing. So the battleground of the church. Here's the seven enemies. I've studied this since the 90's. I could teach a whole lesson on each one, so I've just got to say it and move off. But Egypt represents the world. When Israel came out of Egypt, it was leaving the world. Egypt represents the world and Pharaoh represents Satan. And so understand, when Israel was dealing with Egypt, it was a picture and type of the church and the world. The separation between the church and the world. The second is Edom. Edom was the descendants of Esau. And Jacob and Esau wrestling in Rebekah's womb is the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And so Edom, he was, uh, he was known for several things. I can't rabbit trail on this, but just trust me. He represents the flesh. And how many knows our greatest enemy in Christianity is our own flesh? Okay. Assyria. And let me say this real quick about Egypt. Because this is going to come out as I go. Satan attacks the church to this day with that enemy of Egypt 
but it's it's an infiltration because many churches now and many ministries are allowing so much worldliness to come in and it's killing the move of God in their midst Edom is the flesh and unfortunately many churches and many ministries are running things now like a secular business where it's about the wisdom of man and what man can do rather than trusting God to come down and do it the Bible says unless the Lord build the house then that labor labor in vain unless the Lord keep the city the watchman watch in vain so there has to be a this is either going to be a God thing or it's going to be a man thing Assyria represents pride. Assyria was north of Israel. And they were the ones that took down the, the first attack where God dispersed Israel. Assyria came in and took down the ten tribes, the ten northern tribes. So Samaria was their capital. Assyria represents the pride. And because of pride, there's a lack of repentance and a lack of sincerity. Many times Satan comes in with this pride into churches where people feel so superior and they feel that they're, um, they don't need to really humble themselves and get things right with God and be sincere. As a matter of fact, there was a preacher recently that was preaching and there were people getting up and leaving because of what he was preaching, which was the truth. Babylon represents the spiritual forces of darkness that come against Christians. All of us face spiritual warfare. Every church faces some level of spiritual warfare. That's why we have Ephesians chapter 6. That we put on the full armor and we take authority over the enemy. The next enemy is the Philistines. They represent intimidation. When Israel went to take the promised land, they saw giants and they were intimidated and they had a grasshopper mentality. They said we're just like little grasshoppers in their sight and they were afraid. How many knows that fear, intimidation of the enemy is a very serious attack? There was a woman whose son was in a car crash and a pastor was with her. Her pastor was with her and they were there at the hospital. And she was really believing God for her son to make a full recovery and she was full of faith. And some well-meaning person came to her and told her, said, well listen, you do realize that you know, even if your son does live through this, that you know, he's just going to be a vegetable. He'll never be able to be everything that he was before. And that whenever that person left, the pastor looked over and he saw that woman's countenance had dropped. And he told her, he said, I see and I perceive that there is now a big crack that's in your shield of faith. But he said, I am going to put up the shield of faith for you until you can get back your shield of faith again. And so he interceded and he stayed in faith until that woman's faith came back up to where it needed to be. As you know, that son made a full recovery. The Philistines try to intimidate like a Goliath. Alright, the next one, and these are the two that I'm most concerned about. Because when you're a church or a ministry or you're called... And you've made up your mind that you're going after God. You've made up your mind, I am not going to depend on Egypt. I'm not going to depend on the world. I'm not going to depend on the flesh. And you refute, you humble yourself. I'm not going to be lifted up in pride. I'm going to take my authority and drive back the tides of darkness. I'm not going to be intimidated by the enemy. When you've made up your mind that you're going after God. And you really mean it. Satan has tried to attack. He's tried to attack over and over and over. It's not working. You've done made up your mind. These are the two enemies that Satan will try to attempt to attack you with. And this is what I'm concerned about. And this is why I want you to give me your best ear. Okay. The first one is Amalek. Amalek was known for being the type of enemy. You guys ever watch maybe uh, the Nature Channel where like lions are... They're down in the grass and there's a, a herd of gazelle or something that come by. And these female lionesses will be li- laying there and they, what do they do? A lot of times they'll attack and pick off the one that's either too old or too young or sickly that's lagged behind the herd. And they'll pick them off. That's Amalek right there. Amalek was known for stuff like that. And God's anger was really aroused at Amalek. They were the type that would attack for example, when David was in the Negev and, and he was in Ziklag, the men were off, gone. Amalek comes in with their raiders and plunder the camp and attack the women and children. You see what I'm saying? 
So what Amalek represents for us as Christians today is this, and please hear me. Satan will try to target your weakness. If you've been somebody in the past that struggled with maybe pride or insecurities, if you've been somebody in the past that maybe struggled with being an unforgiving and kind of a bitter person, or maybe in your past you struggled with lust, or maybe in the past you struggled in your, your marriage and that things were kind of out of order, whatever it is, wherever there were weaknesses, this Amalek enemy will target those weaknesses. I hope you guys are going to be taking some notes, all right? I want you, if you have a pen, get a pen. I want you to jot down some of this stuff, okay? Because y'all need to do this. Who needs a pen? I got one. Everybody good? <laughs> and others start grabbing iPads and stuff. That's fine. Just don't lose it, whatever it is. Don't actually delete it when you get home, right? But Amalek represents... Targeting your weaknesses. I want you guys to circle that with the big stars by it. And while I'm talking, I want you to think about what are my past weaknesses. This is what the enemy, if somebody's had Jezebel tendencies, if somebody's had tendencies about whoredoms and everything, this is what I'm concerned about because I know that whenever, y'all hear me, I know people are writing this, but just hear me. When Satan began to go after Jesus Christ and wanted to kill Jesus, Jesus would walk through the crowd. It wasn't his time, remember that? They come to kill him and Jesus would walk through the crowd. And they, they tried all these attempts. They picked up stones to stone him, all the things that came against Jesus. The Pharisees wanted to kill him. But Satan began to circle the camp and he was studying and how did Satan get inside the camp? How did he infiltrate in? Was he found a man by the name of Judas that had an issue with money in his life? And it wasn't something that just showed up all of a sudden. It was something he had a weakness toward for a long time. The Bible's clear that Judas kept the money bag probably because he wanted to. He probably asked to do it. But he got mad, remember, that when that woman used that expensive perfume on Jesus' feet or whatever, he got all mad. And John said, John, he said, he wasn't mad because he cared about the poor. He was mad because he loved that money. He had an issue in him with that money. And so whenever Satan began to circle the camp, he looks at Peter, you know, and Jesus told Peter, said, listen, Satan wants to sift you as wheat. Okay, but I've prayed for you. And he realizes, well, I really can't get in through Peter. But, he, you know, he's going to sift him. But he's going around, he's looking at Thomas. He's looking at others. And he gets around to Judas and goes, ah, that's a way in right there. And the Bible says, here they are having Passover. I mean, he's talking about a holy time. They're with Jesus at Passover. And the Bible says that Satan entered Judas right there. And Judas gets up and leaves, and he goes and betrays Jesus for what? Money. So what I'm saying is, as Satan, as a wolf begins to circle the camp, they're looking for the weaknesses. And if we're a people of wisdom, we will begin to jot down the weaknesses. Please hear me tonight. If you're half asleep, wake up, okay? Listen, this is the time to hear the warning of the Spirit of God. If you have weaknesses and you're going to ignore this sermon, you're going to sleep through the sermon, you're not going to go back and listen to the sermon, you're not going to take pastors seriously, this is just a big joke or something, don't be surprised if six months to a year from now, you're coming to me, dear God, pastor, what happened? And if Satan can't get Amalek to attack you and hit your weaknesses, then he'll start coming at you with that enemy of Moab. Alright, so what Moab represents is this. Moab represents two different things. It represents the enemy attacking through the dark arts, and it represents infiltration. So Amalek is wanting to attack the weaknesses and pick people off. But if that don't work, trust me, Satan wants to send Moab. 
people come under the attack, and you're not going to hear this too many pulpits, or I doubt very many today will preach on this. But the Bible never sugarcoats or tries to sweep under a rug this element of witchcraft and these how it targets God's people. It's all through the Scriptures, and the Bible talks openly about it. I'm not saying this in a fearful way. I'm just saying this, that you need to be aware of it. And stop being like typical American people that want to blame spiritual attacks for everything. Well, it's cloudy today. Well, you know, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. All these different excuses. And it's like, wake up, man. You're being under some spiritual attack, okay? And it's not going to go away until you acknowledge it and drive it away. So a lot of people, they, they don't understand what's going on. But a direct attack from the dark arts. Here's what will happen when the enemy attacks. He attacks through the dark arts. And you'll sense that. Attack the mind. Attack the emotions. There'll be a difficulty in praying because he wants you to get out of prayer. It will try to create strife in your home. And it will try to hinder your night's rest. And the enemy's trying to beat people down. This is an attack of the dark arts through witchcraft where people are praying against the church. Now I want you to be aware of this. Alright, so 2 Kings 3, this is just one of many examples, but... This is where a good clear example of, of witchcraft coming against God's people. But when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites arose and struck the Moabites so that they fled before them. And they went forward into the land, slaughtering the Moabites. Thus they destroyed the cities. Each one threw a stone on every piece of good land and filled it. They stopped up the springs of water. They cut down the good trees until Kir Harasheh. Only they left its stones... However, the slingers went back and struck it. And when the king of Moab, now here's what I'm getting at. When the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took his oldest son who was to reign in his place and offered him as a burnt offering on the wall. Human sacrifice. And there came great wrath against Israel, so they departed from him and returned to their own land. There's a lot of different examples I could give you in the scriptures, but this is a real clear one here. Great wrath is the strong 7110. And it's the Hebrew word ketsef. You can see it right there. It comes from the word, the root word, it'd be the, the kuf, and then the, um, it's an A, so katsaf. But it comes from that root word. And here's what it means. In a natural sense, if you had like a big rock and you were to strike that rock with all your might and it broke off a chunk of the rock, that was what it would represent in the natural. Like a splintering or a cracking. But in a metaphoric sense, in a symbolic sense, this word means like great rage, anger, indignation, great wrath. Like an explosion. Like when somebody blows up in a rage... So here Israel is coming in. They're winning victory after victory after victory after victory. And Satan decides, I've got to change my strategy. Are y'all following me in all of this tonight? All of the, I really felt the Spirit of God, there's a continuity in this through the whole um, sermon. Satan saw that his attack through the Moabite military was not being successful. Israel kept winning, kept winning, kept winning. So he's got to change his strategy. So now they turn to the dark arts. And this is no different than people in black robes sitting around doing some kind of weird human sacrifice and releasing that directed against God's people. And so a lot of times churches don't realize what's going on in the spirit realm. But this stuff is not uncommon. I'm, I hate to tell people this. Some people have never even thought about this. Or, or, but trust me, this is not uncommon. If it's a church that's really going after God, then Satan will try this strategy to pray against them or release things against them in the spirit realm. But if people will rise up in their authority in Jesus Christ and they'll be a people of prayer and they'll come under the blood and they'll put the armor on and they'll drive it back, it can't do anything. But a lot of people just sit around and go, well, it's rainy today. And they give all these goofy reasons as to why stuff's going on. They don't pray against it. They don't use their authority. And pretty soon they're mentally tormented. 
their, their emotions are tormented. There's strife in their home. They can't sleep good at night. They're having difficulty in prayer. Something is resisting them. Some kind of great wrath has been released against them. And they're not doing anything about it. What I'm trying to say is, River of Life, as victory after victory after victory after victory keeps happening and Satan cannot destroy us, he's going to try eventually to change his strategy. And when that happens, I want you to be ready. Don't blame it on everything else. You rise up in your authority and drive back those tides of darkness. Don't put up with it. The Bible says that we have authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means harm us. But you need to make sure things are right with God in your life. If you've got unforgiveness or unrepentant sin, that stuff really can hit people and they get sick or something. You need to make sure that things are right. Okay? Alright. And then another attack of Moab is this. When the dark arts did not work, Moab, they had brought Balaam in. Remember? this. We're going back in time now. Hundreds of years. Back in the days of Moses. The king of Moab saw Israel coming and was afraid of them. Man, they, they crushed Egypt's economy. They whipped these other kings in their military. And now they're at my border. He was scared. So he goes and hires Balaam to come. Balaam was a powerful sorcerer. He was a warlock. And he comes in and Balak hires him and pays him good money. I want you to do your mumbo jumbo and I want you to put a curse on my enemy. And Balaam had already, God had already visited Balaam and told him, he put an angel there and the angel said, I'd kill you if it wasn't for God. And God had already threatened Balaam real good and said, you better listen to me. You better not speak unless I tell you to speak. You better say what I'm going to say or you're a dead man. And Balaam gets to the king and says, you can offer me all the money you want. (laughs) But I'm going to say what God tells me to say and nothing else. Because he knew. God had already threatened him. So Balaam gets there and he starts doing all of his dark arts. They get up on a hill and Balak says, Okay, we're going to do all these sacrifices, animal sacrifices to our pagan demon gods of Moab. We're going to summon all this dark power here and we want you to curse our enemies. And Balaam ends up having to bless Israel. And Balak gets mad. I'm paying you all this money. You're doing these opposite. And, and it happens three times. And so after the third time, Balak clapped his hands together and said, Enough with it! Out of here! You know? and, and so Balaam goes back. But here's the thing. Balaam had told him, you can read about in other portions of scriptures. I gave it to you in Numbers 31.16. Balaam had told Balak, he said, Look, I can't curse him because God's blessed him. But I'll tell you how to get him. Get all the real beautiful Moabite women that are young and single. Send them in the camp. The young men will intermarry with them and God's judgment will come on them. And then they'll be open for attack. And it worked. When the Moabite women came in and Israel began to intermarry with them, the judgment of God came. People started dying. It was horrible. What I'm trying to get at through all of this is Satan will try these tactics. When they don't work, he'll turn to the dark arts. And unfortunately, with some people, that's so oppressive that, like Israel, great wrath breaks out and they turn around and go home. They'll stop going forward. But if that don't work, trust me, Satan wants infiltration in. So let me share a little bit about that. I believe that River of Life, by and large, is extremely sincere. I really do. I believe that people here are very sincere. But, we don't always know everybody the way God knows them. You know what I'm saying? And we all come in together, we worship, we see people that that are really worshiping God, they love Jesus, they they seem to be, you know, really on fire for God. And, And we may really respect them, we think highly of them. But we don't know what their life is like when they get home in, in the secret of their own personal life. We don't know how they are with their family. Well, you know, we, we only see their best foot forward at church. But see, God knows everything, and Satan notices the life, the secret life behind the scenes nobody knows about. The devil knows about it. And so sometimes what the enemy will do, they're circling the camp, so to speak, and they'll see a weak spot like they did in Judas. And maybe they have a tendency to be a little Jezebel. Maybe they have a tendency to be whatever. And they see that. 
And the enemy will begin to gradually work on that. And work on that. Until later on at an opportune time for that to really come out and try to cause problems. But even if the enemy can't find the weak spot inside the camp among those that are there, he would love to try to send somebody in. That's why, I know y'all know me, but and it, I feel like I can be real open about some of this, but that's why there's nobody coming in here that's just going to be thrust into any type of leadership until I get to know them. They're not going to be teaching nobody, and they're not going to be praying for anybody, laying hands on anybody, or prophesying over anybody until I get to know them. See, the way things are, like a, a shepherd, when people are like a goat nature, you guys ever been around goat? You guys ever been bucked by a goat? I've had goats attack me. So whenever you have, when you have goats in the camp, and the shepherd comes in, a goat's going to get mad that he's there, and they're going to try to ram him, you know. But here's the thing. Sheep are comforted by the presence of the shepherd because they know he's there to protect them. The rebels in the camp are the goats. They don't like the presence of the shepherd because it gets on their nerves. But the sheep know, hey, wait a second, the shepherd's here. He's not going to put up with any funny business. He'll call something down if it's not right. If there's some weirdo that comes in, he's not going to be praying for nobody. And if he tries it, pastor will get him. You know what I'm saying? And they're comforted by that. So the three things for those taking notes, and I've got a few more scriptures to read, but the three things to jot down is personal weaknesses, number one. Number two is direct attack from witchcraft. This is in the spirit realm. You're not going to have somebody in a black robe show up at your house, knock on your door, say, oh, hey, by the way, um, we all meet together and we're praying against River of Life. Just so you know, we want to let you know, you know, they're not going to do that. This is things in the secret. And, it, and trust me, it goes on all the time. And it goes on against a lot of churches out there. And then number three is infiltration. They want to find a way. Satan wants to find a way inside. It's not the four outside columns that's going to take the victory. Satan wants that fifth column. He wants somebody inside the camp that's useful to him. Those three things, and I want us to really commit this stuff to prayer. That God will really show us, because I'm concerned. I feel a concern in my spirit that Satan is losing ground. And there's major breakthroughs that are happening in the spirit. Remember me telling you this would be the year where there's breakthroughs like restoration. Breakthroughs are happening. And trust me, they're happening big time. And the enemy's threatened by that. And I'll share some things at the very end. But Alright, let me say this. It takes a prophetic eye. See, the, the, pat, the sheep are, are down here grazing. But God will allow a shepherd that prays to be able to see. They stand up on two legs and they have a higher vision to see farther. And if a pastor is a man of prayer, the Holy Spirit will help him to see things coming so that there can be a warning to the sheep. And it takes that prophetic eye to expose it, but it takes a warrior to deal with it. Joshua was the one that killed Balaam in Joshua 13.22. It takes a warrior to deal with these things. Okay? And I would say this too for those that are leaders. Some of those that are elders and, and leaders in River of Life. If you're not careful, we can be too nice. Y'all hear me? You know, you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. You don't, you don't, want, to, you don't want to be too firm. You don't, and, and you can be too nice about things. If you're not careful, you're going to let things go on. That you shouldn't let go on doing that. There's a time when it's going to tick somebody off, but you've got to be firm and deal with something that's not right, okay? All right, let me move on. First Chronicles 20, verse 1. And this is what I've seen coming. Then it happened in the spring at the time when the kings go out to battle that Joab led out the army and ravaged the lands of Ammon. They came and besieged uh, Rabbah. 
But David stayed in Jerusalem, and Joab struck Rabba and overthrew it. David took the crown of their king from his head and found it that it weighed a talent of gold, and there was precious stones in it. He placed it on David's head and brought out the spoil of the city, a very great amount. And he brought out to the people who were in it and cut them uh, with saws and with sharp instruments and with axes. And thus David did to all the cities of the sons of Ammon and David, and all the people returned to Jerusalem. And now it came about after this. Now notice this. War broke out in Gezer with the Philistines, and Sibachai and the Hushite killed Sibai, um, one of the descendants of what? The giants, and they were subdued. And there was war again with the Philistines, and Elhanan, the son of Jair, uh, killed Lami, the brother of Goliath the Hittite, whose shaft, um, the spear, was like that of a weaver, weaver's beam. So he was a lot like Goliath, he was this huge giant. Again, there was war in Gath. A man of great stature had 24 fingers and toes. Anyway, the point is, is that there was war, then victory. War, then victory. War, then victory. And then you get to the next verse, the last verse I want to read, First Chronicles 21.1. Then Satan stood up. Are y'all following me? War, then victory. War, then victory. War, then victory. The tactics to crush Israel, to keep attacking God's people. It's not working. It's not working. Satan stands up. He had enough of it. We're going to change strategies now. And Satan began to move on David David to number Israel, which was a sin. And David did. And because Satan was able to infiltrate in the camp like that, it brought God's judgment. Are you seeing this tactic all through scriptures? Satan will attack on the outside over and over and over and over. It doesn't work. The church keeps getting stronger. The church keeps going forward. And finally, Satan has enough and he's like, he rises up and says, we've got to change strategies now. Watch out for when revival begins to come in the days ahead. Watch out for division. Let me tell you, as plain as a man can talk, if anybody ever comes to you, and I don't care who it is, I don't care how long you've known them in River of Life, and you may have thought they were really spiritual, but if they come to you and they're running down to your brother and sister in Christ, it's not right. It's not right. And if you listen to it, and you, you go along with it, you're sinning as much as them. What you need to do is just say, look, I'm sorry your hurt feelings and all that, but you need to go talk to them. And if they say, well, I don't feel like I can go talk to him, it's like, okay, I'll go with you. And I'll be a peacemaker and a mediator, but I'm not going to sit here and have this conversation. You're just running them down to me. You need to go talk to them. And if people come to you, I don't care how long you've known them, how spiritual you thought they were, and they're running down the pastor, they're running down an elder, they're running down, you know, like pastor's wife, or they're running down another leader in the church to you, it's not right. And same thing, you need to tell them, you need to go talk to that person. This is where division tries to get in right here, is this gossip stuff, this divisive attack of the enemy to try to infiltrate the camp. Be careful, because there's people that will get offended about something, and that's the first thing that they do. They start trying to talk bad about others. And Satan is trying to use that to begin to put, okay, this group over here is all on this person's side and then over on the other side of the church they're on the other person's side and now these two sides hate each other <laughs> all over a stupid misunderstanding a lot of times when you take the lid off and look down in it it's something so immature and so petty but if two people would have just talked it out none of that would have ever happened Watch out for religious control as religious Pharisees want to stifle the move of God. Watch out for adultery. Remember David? Victory after victory after victory after victory. And then he's seeing a naked woman bathe and falls into adultery. Watch out that you keep your eyes and your flesh under control by the Holy Spirit and you're not going to get into any sexual sin. Guard yourself. Guard your eyes. Guard yourself or you're not alone with people. Keep yourself holy and pure. The Bible says flee youthful lust. You do whatever you got to do to keep it pure. Uh, deception. The children of Israel come out with Moses with signs and wonders. Nothing short of great revival. But yet they end up dancing naked like the Egyptians around a golden calf saying this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. They were so deceived right after great revival. Watch out for deception. 
as the enemy will try to attack with deception. Watch out for rebellion. In the wilderness, remember Korah, Dathan, and Abiram begin to buck up against Moses. Let me tell you, there has to be rules. There has to be rules. In a church, there'll be these rules, we do this, we don't do this. And somebody starts doing something they're not supposed to do, we tell them nicely, hey, listen, we don't do that, please stop. And then they want to get an attitude, oh, well, we're going to do it anyway. It's like, okay, we tried to be nice, but you're not going to do that, and you're going to sit there. And then it, then it gets that way, you see what I'm saying? But there has to be rules. And when rebellion creeps in, God will never bless rebellion. And the people that are the rebels, let me tell you something about Satan. People don't mean to, but when they let Satan use them like the, the snake in the Garden of Eden, remember that? After Satan's done with them, a curse comes on them. And spiritually speaking, they're not going to be doing good till they deal with it. There were some people I knew, I knew these people. And they split a friend of mine's church. They were used of the devil. And then they wanted to contact me and kind of flatter me and come over here. And um, I told them in no uncertain terms that they weren't coming over here. And um, through other means, I mean, my attitude was that until people deal with that, in my mind, they're church-splitting little devils. <laughs> until, until they go to that pastor and they repent. And I, and I basically was like, when that pastor calls me and tells me that you repented and made things right, then we'll talk. And I never heard back from them because they didn't have enough humility to go do that. Or right, another thing is, is a Jezebel spirit. Man, when it attacked Elijah, what depression. Major depression. A Jezebel spirit will try to worm its way through a church and cause all kinds of problems. You've got to discern it and drive it out. Unfortunately, nine out of ten Jezebels will never change. Watch out for evil men. Remember Nehemiah? Man, Nehemiah is trying to go after God and just build the wall. God called that man to build a wall. That was his job. He was just trying to obey God and just build the wall. And the whole time, there was Sanballat and Tobiah and these other guys that were just mocking him and making fun of him the whole time. And then Nehemiah goes out of town on vacation. Comes back in town and a goofy Levite gave Tobiah his own little apartment in the temple area. And Nehemiah loses it. What are you thinking? He goes in and grabs Tobiah, throws him out. I'm sure he gave him the swift kick, right, on the way out. Takes all of his stuff, throws it out, and says, be gone with yourself. So you've got to be careful with evil men trying to worm their way in. Watch out for betrayal. Remember Gedaliah um, or Gedalia? I believe it's Gedalia. People warned him in Jeremiah 40, somebody's seeking to assassinate you. He says, oh, it'll be all right. And then he's dead. So be careful about betrayal and that you listen to the warnings that come from godly people. Watch out for man worship. I can't get off on this, but trust me, Satan wants people to get their eyes on man instead of Jesus. It doesn't matter who prays for who. However that person was healed, delivered, or whatever, remember, Jesus did all of it. Okay? We've got to make sure we keep our eyes on Jesus. And finally, greed. Remember Elisha? He had his servant Gehazi. Gehazi saw all these great things. Remember, he was the one that saw all those fiery chariots around. Remember that? And Elisha told him, um, there's more for us than against us. And Gehazi could have been Elisha's successor. But he loved that money. And when Naaman came and got healed, Elisha said, we don't, we don't want your money. Just go back, you know. And Gehazi goes running after him to get that money. And the leprosy that had left Naaman clung to him. And then he was disqualified from God's purposes for him. He ended up in a leper colony. So the point is, be careful that you don't allow heart issues about money to creep in. Okay? And the last couple things I need to close with this is Numbers 20. And I know this is a little bit longer, but I feel the Lord wants you to know this. Some of this is in your notes, some of it's not. But Numbers 20 through 22, Israel was leaving the wilderness and tried to go through Edom, but they couldn't. And we know they were never going to go back to Egypt. And so they had to go forward. And as they moved forward, they had to face Sihon and Og. How would you like to name your son Og, right? 
And so they had to face Sion and Og. Sion means a tempest, like a storm. Og was a Nephilim. He was, his bed was 13 feet tall and 6 feet wide. He was a giant. And so Israel couldn't go to Edom and they couldn't go back to Egypt. And so they had to go straight forward and they had to face the storm. And they had to face the intimidation of a giant. But whenever Satan tries to send storms, just remember that there's always that attack before blessing. And Satan began to stir up a storm against Israel and used Sion to come against them and Og trying to intimidate them. And God even had to speak to Moses, don't be afraid of them. I'll give you victory. Because this was such an intimidating thing. But Israel plowed right through that. Listen, if we're not going to be a people that depends on the flesh, and we're not going to be a people that depends on the world, I'm not going to depend on human ingenuity. I'm not going to depend on worldly entertainment. I'm going to depend on the Lord. And if you're going to be that way, then you're, going to, you're not going to fall to those other nations. You're going to move forward. You're going to have to face the storms and the intimidation that Satan will try to throw at you. But Israel subdued them. They crushed them and they moved forward. But the enemy on the other side of that was Moab. Are you hearing me? And that's where Satan says, okay, we're going to have to try to change tactics, tactics now. So here's what I want to close with, Isaiah 53. Awake, awake, clothe yourself with strength. If you're taking notes, write down Isaiah 53.1. This is it. Awake, awake, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor. Awake has to do with praying. Sleeping has to do with prayerlessness. God's saying, pray, church, Pray, church. Make sure you awake and you begin to spend time with God. And as you spend time with Him, He's saying, I will clothe you with strength and with garments of splendor. And as a pastor, I see some things coming. You want to know what I see? I see major breakthroughs for River of Life. I see prophecies that have been over this ministry. I want you all to hear me. I see prophecies that have been over this ministry for a long time. I see God answering prayers. I see what Satan used to try to do against this whole Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex crumbling before River of Life. That's what I see. And it's not going to work anymore. And the things that the enemy's tried to do is going to fall. It's going to crumble. And God's going to give a breakthrough. But when these things happen, understand that historically and biblically, Satan began to what change his tactics. And I want you to understand that when revival breaks forth and a harvest begins to break forth, that Satan's not going to sit on his hands. He wants to change his strategies. And whenever these dark arts try to assail, if you'll rise up, you can put it to flight. And I'm telling you now, if you'll pray, hear me, if you'll pray about your weaknesses now, let them become strengths. There's things in my life that used to be weaknesses years ago that aren't anymore because Jesus changed them. When you pray, confess those sins and believe that they're forgiven. And when you pray, Lord, I surrender this area to you, believe that God is moving and begin to speak. This area that used to be a weakness in my life is now crucified with Christ. That area in my life is now filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm becoming strong in that area. I'm not going to be weak there anymore because it's not me, it's Christ living through me giving me strength to overcome in these areas. And I'm going to conquer. And as you have faith, God will touch those weak areas and make them strengths. And that way when the enemy circles the camp, he's going to look at you and go, I can't get there anymore. Be aware of spiritual oppression. Armor up and drive it out. You need a fresh anointing for a new day. Pray and you'll get a fresh touch. Come to church. Don't let anything ever stop you from receiving everything God has for you. Don't ever worry about what other people think. You, trust me, when you get in that altar time, get everything that you need from the Lord. We need a fresh anointing for what's coming. And you know 1906, did you know there was a prophecy in the Sousa Street Revival that said this, there will come a time... That people will worship a God they refuse to pray to. And I see the fulfillment of that prophecy now. That there's people, we have incredible praise and worship. It sounds better than it's ever sounded in church history today because of modern technology. 
We have incredible praise and worship. But we have a generation of people that will sit there for hours and worship and sing songs that they really love those songs, but they won't ever pray. Worship just goes up to God and it's wonderful. I mean, we need to worship Him, but prayer goes up to God and then releases the miracles back into the earth. We've got to be a people of prayer. And don't take on unassigned battles. Don't let other people's problems become your problems. Sometimes other people's problems are there because God's trying to deal with them about their stuff. But instead of dealing with it between them and God, a lot of times they try to dump it on everybody else. And if you're not careful, you can get sucked into other people's problems. Don't, get, don't let other people wrap you up in their issues. We were just, my wife and I were just talking about the other day. There's other people we love, we know out there, but we have to guard ourselves to not get too entangled in their issues. Don't let anybody gossip to you guys. Listen, don't do it. Tell them, you got to go talk. Another thing is, spend more time with God than man. And take authority over your enemy. Rise up. And here's the last scripture God gave me. This was about this sermon. If you'll pray about your weaknesses now, if you'll take these notes, and you'll really take this serious, say, God, I know, I know Pastor Scott's a man of prayer. He's been with the Lord. The Lord's told him there's some things coming. There's some great breakthroughs. But there also may be some spiritual attack. And God gave him that prophetic word. And I'm going to take these notes home. And I'm going to begin to pray over these issues in my personal prayer life. And I'm going to make sure and really pray into this. I believe when the, when the storms come, you're going to be fine. But those that blow it off and don't listen, it may be difficult. But here's what the Lord gave me, Ezekiel 33 verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the sons of your people and say to them, If I bring a sword upon the land and the people of the land, take a man and make him a watchman. And he sees the sword coming upon the land and he blows the trumpet and warns the people. Then he who hears the sound of the trumpet, it does not take warning. And a sword comes and take him away. His blood, his blood is on his own head. He heard the warning. He heard the warning, but he did not do anything about it. Are you hearing me tonight? He heard it, but he didn't do anything about it. His blood will be on his own head. But he that takes the warning seriously, he will be delivered. Um, He would have delivered his life, I'm sorry. But number six. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes them away... He is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require of the watchman. Now as for you, son of man, I have appointed you to be a watchman on the house of Israel. You hear the message from my mouth and warn the people. And I feel that God gave me that about this. He was saying, you get up there and you warn the people. But once you warn them, it's not going to be on you anymore. Then it's going to be on everybody that hears it, how they respond. So, something's up. Heed the warning. The three things, one more time as I close with this, direct attacks from the dark arts where you feel a spiritual attack coming against your mind, your emotion, maybe trying to cause strife, maybe trying to make it difficult to pray, difficult to uh, sleep at night. You feel something's off. It's like something spiritually. Watch out for dark arts, number one. Number two, Satan trying to target weaknesses like Amalek and even Moab really trying to target weak places in people. And then number three, infiltration. Satan wants to get in the camp. Not everybody that comes to a church necessarily needs to come to that church and certainly doesn't need to stay. Some people are trouble. Satan will try to get in the camp, okay? Alright, I need to close this out tonight. I feel like I got this out there. But Father, I pray for the people. Lord, that this would be an awakening, like a uh, just a snapping to attention, that there would be a clear thinking tonight. That we would be, with sober judgment, we would see that there's something on the horizon for River of Life. There's breakthroughs coming. And we know that also there may be some spiritual attacks. But Lord, I want everybody to be ready. As a shepherd, I want to be able to put this out there to warn the people. They can be ready for what's coming. And Lord, I pray that, um, number one, that any dark arts and spiritual attack 
that as we rise up in our authority, I thank you, Lord, that you said that we'll tread upon snakes and scorpions overcome all the power of the enemy. So, Lord, that anything that will come against us, no weapon formed against us will prosper. It will go fleeing in the other direction. But help us, Lord, to discern it. Number two, I pray for areas of weakness. Give us the grace and the wisdom to pray over those areas and take it serious and get those areas strengthened. And then number three, I pray for eyes, discerning eyes to be able to see infiltration. That we're not going to let the enemy slither into the camp, but we're going to have eyes to see and perceive these things. And even as the enemy would like to be able to maybe find a weak spot and somebody begin to target that, Lord, I pray that you would deal with that quickly. In Jesus' name, break the power of that. Lord, we thank you for it. Lord, give your people victory. Help us to be victorious over Egypt, that we're not going to be worldly. We're not going to depend on world's entertainment. We're not going to depend on the methods of the world. We're not going to run a church like a secular business where you can go to business school and and just apply the same principles and it's all about marketing, giving people what they want. That's not how we're going to do it. This is supposed to be a spiritual thing. This is a kingdom of God. And we're not going to be like the carnal men that depend on human ingenuity and human wisdom and, and, and trying to do things in the flesh. And Lord, that we'll be a humble people. That we're not going to be given over to Assyria. And Lord, we'll be aware of the spiritual warfare and be under armor and overcome Babylon. We're not going to be intimidated by the Philistines that just simply want to intimidate and try to get people to shrink back in fear. And because... We've surrendered these weak areas in our lives, Lord. Amalek's not going to be able to attack because those weak areas become strong in Jesus. Lord, help us to be ready for the days ahead. Anoint us and empower us. We thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and shut our recordings tonight. And people that want prayer, we can pray. I know tonight went just a little bit longer than usual in the sermon. But I want you to take these notes and really pray into this, okay? Help me pray and let's believe God for victory in the days ahead.